So we've got a couple announcements. Um, we've got this thing called Affordable Christmas. Uh, you might have seen a shelf out in the lobby. We're accepting donations uh, for Affordable Christmas, which is a thing that Redemption Alhambra, something that we get to partner with them in doing. Um, and they have connections with people that are maybe less fortunate and, and might have need for Christmas presents. Um, and the ages that we're accepting are newborn through 16. So we're accepting that through December 8th. Um, and if you guys can get presents here, that would be amazing. It's a great way that we can serve um, other redemption congregations and our community. As well, Hope Women's Center. We have a Hope Women's Center dinner that we get to serve at November 18th. Um, and did we lose our slide for that? No? It's still up there. Um, it's a great way that, that we can serve the, the Hope Women's Center crew. We've been partnering with them for about, uh, I mean, the whole time that I've been here and, and, and really focusing in on that for the last year. Um, so from 5 to 8 on November 18th, we get to serve them. Um, and we're looking for, I think, five people to volunteer for the evening, bring food, spend time with the, the women. Um, so you can RSVP on our website or contact Andrea. She's usually out at the Connect Desk. Um, great to see you all. Uh, please stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, the reading for today is from John chapter 15, um, verse uh, 18 through John chapter 16, verse 3. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not know I have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, JT. Yes, thank you, JT. All right. Good morning, Redemption Arcadia. Good to see you all. Uh, this is Tyler James, uh, also known as TJ, because we have about 14 Tylers mm. around here. So They called me TJ in high school. They it's did? Bringing me okay. back. Okay, yeah. All right. TJ. So, I like it. Back to the beginning. All right, go ahead. What, did you, what do you got for us? Yeah, so <laughs> I've got the Bible. Um, on the way in on the lobby, you probably saw Emmy has this big display she's doing to recruit volunteers. She's doing that because each Sunday we're actually paying for babysitters to come, and that's something that we we don't want to budget for. So just a reminder for any new people, if you're looking for a way to get plugged in and serve, that is a great way to do that. 
you can serve, I think they're looking for all the ages, so birth through sixth grade. So the, she would love to have you sign up there. Uh, you can do that in the lobby. She's got all that. Where are we you. using the busy bees on Sunday? Is it primarily? In the nursery, in, primarily. In the nursery? Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. So busy bees is a really great uh, organization and service, but nevertheless, it'd be better if we could get some volunteers. Yeah, they're not all necessarily Christians. Some are, some maybe aren't, but I mean, it'd be ideal to have. Well, then let's go get them and bring them in here. Let's get them. Okay. All right. That's, that's a great idea. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to mention was uh, we had our work day yesterday, and it was absolutely phenomenal. We had about 40 people show up uh, for that, and um, uh, one of the interesting things was uh, Joe Best came and brought an entire work crew with him uh, who don't attend here, but uh, in the process, he, uh, if you notice, all of the Palo Verde tre trees have been expertly trimmed and trimmed back far enough that we may not have to touch them for another six months, which is a total blessing for us. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing is that they pressure washed all the flat uh, concrete and, and um, uh, gravel services in, on the entire campus. It was absolutely amazing. We did a lot of other work as well. We got the uh, storage container cleaned out and you can actually walk in there now and occasionally find things. It was so things. full you actually yeah. couldn't walk in. It was that full. And then, they, yeah. and then all of the children's rooms were uh, deep cleaned and so it was a great amazing. day. And we want to thank everybody who yes. showed up for that. Thank you. It was thank really you. good. So, So um, this is Tyler James. If you don't know, his title is that he's the executive pastor and the family pastor at Redemption Arcadia. My name is Frank Switzer, and, and I'm the lead pastor here. That's my title. But really, there's four of us pastors here who yeah. lead in multiple ways, and we work as a team, and it's been great. Um, how many of you are old enough to remember something uh, called dueling banjos. Anybody old enough to, oh wow, look at all, yeah, so you okay. know, yeah, of course Ira knows dueling Ira's banjos, yeah. So um, as long as Ira's around here, I know somebody will identify with my history, that's good. So uh, anyway, we call this dueling pastors or dueling preachers. We do this occasionally when we run across in the preaching calendar a passage that uh, we think might uh, be interesting to m have more of a conversation about than, than necessarily a sermon. Uh, we do this type of thing. I've done it with Tyler Thompson. I've done it with Trey. I'm doing it with you now. We last did it on video. Do you remember that? That's right. Yeah, That's right. We did it on video yeah. uh, during the, the lockdown. Um, and, and one of the things I want to mention about this is um, uh, the prep for something like this is way different than actually writing a sermon. Uh, but it's just as deep and in some ways even deeper. We have both read separately a lot and studied a lot. Uh, then we've had multiple conversations together about the passage. We also uh, both were at the Preaching Collective 11 days ago where we talked about this passage and came out of that collective uh, feeling very confident that we knew more than everybody else in all the other <laughs> Redemption congregations, yeah. so that was good. Um, just kidding. I walked out with way more information than I can possibly share yeah. today. So Yeah, so anyway, that's, that's what we're doing, and we're actually looking at uh, J.T. read for us uh, 15, 18 through um, uh, 16.3, but we're actually starting in verse 12 in chapter 15. So if you could have your Bibles open to John 15, and what I will do is I will first read uh, this first little section that J.T. didn't read, and we'll get started there. If you'll remember from last week, Chapter 15 in John deals primarily with three relationships and how they're manifested and what to expect from them. 
And that would be the relationships of disciples of Jesus to Jesus. And then in this paragraph I'm about to read, it's the relationship of the disciples to each other. And then in the last part, uh, starting in verse 18, what JT read, actually going all the way through 16.3, we're going to be dealing with uh, the relationship of the disciples to the world Mm -hmm. and how challenging that's going to be. But first, let's look at 12 through 17. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So right out of the gate, this question, Jesus says, I want you to love each other, and then he adds this clause, as I have loved you. So talk about, what does that mean? Talk that a little bit key, about that. That is the key phrase in that. I also want us to notice, this is not his suggestion. This is his commandment. Yeah. And, and that's a little more rare that he speaks so directly and with such authority. The commandment is that you love one another as I have loved you. So we ought to be asking the question, how has Jesus loved us then? What, what, what kind of love is he getting at? Because there's lots of different kinds of ways that we love one another. Verse 13 is the key to that. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. The sacrificial kind of love And he's going to back up those words. He's going to back those up in just a few chapters. So the the sacrificial kind of love is the kind of love he means. And by sacrifice, you don't even mean investment. Because an investment implies a return. Ooh, that's good. Sacrifice means that you're going to love somebody regardless of what the return is. Mm. So this isn't transactional. This is a covenant kind of love where the person says, all right, I'm going to love you because that's just my character to love you, no matter what you do to me, which is important. It's, it's, in a way, it's even setting up what's going to happen with the disciples in the world later when we get into that passage. But Paul also talks in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, he says at one point in Ephesians chapter 5, it is out of reverence for Christ that we should submit to one another. Mm-hmm. And so... Again, Paul even says, look at Christ first before you can really, truly begin to understand how to love others, how to serve others, how to submit to one another. And so I think this constant idea of looking at what Christ did, looking at who Christ is and what he's done for us. And then we get into this, in the middle of this paragraph, kind of this friends, servants, and masters talk, master talk. What What is all of that about? Yeah, it's interesting because later on, uh, what is it, in verse 20, he, he adds something else. To, so it seems like he's saying, you are not the servants anymore, you're my friends. And the reason why you're that is because you know what I'm doing. The, the servant doesn't know what the master's doing, but I've called you friends. And then again, he says, in verse 20, if you skip down again, a servant is not greater than his master. So he's clearly playing with these titles and terms here. We are servants on one hand, mm-hmm. and we're friends on another, but if we do what he commands us, then we are 
Yeah, you, you have a lot more to say on that too. Well, I think, I think also, it, it, part of the problem is that Jesus is letting them in on the fact that you're really more than just servants who are friends because everything the Father has told me, I've told you, and a master usually doesn't tell his servants anything. He just gives them direction, right. and you have to follow it, and that's the end of it. And, and really, it's kind of like that parental thing where, uh, why do I have to do this, mom, because I said so. That's a servant and master kind of a relationship. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. he's saying, look, I'm telling you everything that the Father is telling me. So in that regard, you're like a friend. You're a, you're a colleague of mine. But you're still called to serve because I'm going to go to the cross. And then when we get into verse 20, what he's referencing there is the fact that the world doesn't understand this friendship relationship that they have. Mm. All they see is that they're really servants of the master Jesus. And if they're going to hate the master, they're going to hate his servants too. Mm. They're going to hate his minions. They're going to hate his associates as well. And so that's one of the things that we get into um, there. And so I think... They understood that on the inside. It's not necessarily understood on the outside. That's really good. It also, do you see how in verse 14 it kind of looks like a conditional friendship? Yeah. You are my friends if you do what I command you. If you engaged with your other friends and said it like that, that'd be kind of weird, right? Like, sure, you can be my friend if bring me dinner once a week. Then, then we can be friends. That's a great way to be a friend to somebody. But aren't all relationships transactional in that way like like even in a marriage that's a covenant relationship but if my spouse treats me horrifically it's going to be a challenge to to love and serve her right so yeah aren't and all yet like and that? yet you're still called to love and serve her in the gospel right yeah so one of the things about <laughs> he caught he caught me there he you caught me. <laughs> most of this is not scripted and um <laughs> If that they was can't interesting. Tell that already. Hi, Helena. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm on your side in this, right? Okay, good. So, w- one of the interesting things about the ancient Greek language, and we're going to run into this in verses 18 and 19 as well, is when you're reading the English in the New Testament, the word if can actually mean six or eight different things, depending on how it's used. So he says, if you follow my commandments. This if is actually saying if, and it's assumed that you will follow my commandments because of what I've taught you and what you're about to see me go through on the cross. You notice that after the resurrection and his appearances in the book of Acts, at the end of the Gospels, and then in the book of Acts, you will notice that the disciples are clearly not confused anymore, there's no more doubt, and they are sold out for who Jesus is. Even Judas is sold out, even though he ends up committing suicide. He's like, okay, I made a huge mistake. And so uh, this, this if is, is, is the type of if that really assumes that they're going to keep his commands. Because this is what a friend does, and yeah. if you are a friend, then, then this happens. That's right. How many of you, um, how many of you uh, get annoyed when you're ghost texted? Okay, raise your hands, would you? I, you know that when people, when people, when you text somebody and they don't text you back. Oh, okay. Are there? Okay, that's what I mean. They're ghosting you. I was waiting for it to click, and it just did. Okay. okay. How many of yeah. you don't like it when you're ghosted after you've texted somebody? There you go. Now. Yeah. Okay. okay. There it is. 
kind of annoying, right? Okay, so he's saying you're not going to ghost me. All right, never mind. Let's move on. That was a horrible <laughs> illustration. That went really well. Okay, so we've made that really muddy for everybody. Let's move on to something that we might be able to help with. I think it's important to pause, too, and just reflect. How incredible is it that the God, the creator God, can call us friend? Yeah. We should be a servant, right? Like, to yeah. a God that created everything, we should be a servant. But he elevates us to friend. Wow, I mean, that is... Friend, sons and daughters, beloved. It's pretty amazing. I also think that the, the order in verse 16 is really, really important for us to get. You did not choose me. So, so far, we've done nothing. But I chose you. So far, we've done nothing. And appointed you. So far, again, nothing for us to do. That you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Notice the order. We're chosen, then we're appointed, then we bear fruit, but our fruit goes away if we're not abiding anymore. To your point from last week or the week right, before, right. we've got to abide. That's the only command here. We abide and our fruit remains. Yeah. So and hard. then this idea, this understanding of, of the fact that Jesus chose them, it's really good to understand the backstory to that. Um, in the first century, I've read a lot about this. In the first century, all the young males would go through Hebrew school. Uh, the male Jews would go through Hebrew school. And there were benchmarks in this school, like at six years, nine years, 12 years, 15 years, where you'd kind of be tested. And, and I hate to use this term, but you'd be weeded out if you're not making the marks. And, and my guess is, I don't have any historical evidence for this, for this particular fact, but my guess is that my guess is that Peter was weeded out at six. He was done at the age of six, okay? And you're out. And the idea uh, for any young Hebrew boy is to make it all the way through because then when you became a young man um, in your late teens, you could then start interviewing with rabbis and you could become a part of their yoke. You could become a part of their group where the rabbi would teach you and you would become a professional religious person and eventually you could become a rabbi as well. Gamaliel was this rabbi, he was one of the most famous rabbis in history. Mm -hmm. The Apostle Paul, when he was Saul, was actually his star student. Saul had made it through all the way through this school. Here's the point I'm trying to make. None of these guys made it through the school. All of them got returned at some point, like I said, probably Peter when he was six, returned to their families in the sense that they then had to learn their family's business and that was going to be their lot in life. So when Jesus walks up to them as a rabbi, as a known rabbi, and says, you're going to follow me, you're coming with me. The reason they went so quickly was because they were getting a second chance that never existed before in their culture at something that they had always desperately wanted. And that's why they were willing to walk away from their current life so easily. Now they're with Jesus, they're part of a yoke, they have all this status, they're essentially in a, they're religious, um, professional religious people in training now they feel like they're going to lose that status because Jesus has said, I'm going to go away, and in fact, it's going to be through this crucifixion. All of this emotion, all of this worry, all of this anxiety is happening here. And what Jesus does here is he says, you have to remember, I chose you to bear fruit. And he's already talked about it once, and he's going to talk about it again. And the way you're going to do that is because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit for you. That's how you're going to do it. And that's true of us as well. So. That's so good. I, I, love, I love the way you word that. Uh, so I, I like to say they were flunkies. 
You know, Jesus, Jesus had a had a had a uh, a yoke of flunkies essentially. Okay, so be a flunky for Jesus. Here you go. Um, here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter one. For consider your calling, beloved. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let no one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So you look forward Amen. to Acts chapter 4 and 5 when Peter and John are being arrested by the professional religious people, and finally they had to let Peter and John go, and they said, we don't understand these guys. They are thoroughly uneducated. The Greek word is idiotos. The, the professional religious people called John and Peter idiotas. Guess what English word we get from that? Okay? There's they no said they're that. idiots, all right? And yet, they have clearly been with Jesus, and they're smarter than we are. They're wiser than we are. It's an amazing thing. Yeah, yeah there's a I lot. I riffed of, on that for a long time. <laughs> so yeah. good. There's a lot of those boxes in that First Corinthians passage that I check personally, yeah. so I'm really yeah. thankful for that one. Yeah. Frank, talk a little bit about in verse 16, it kind of sounds like that new motorcycle that I want, I can just ask for, but if I throw in the Father's name, then I'll get it. You talked oh, about yeah. this a little bit. I've talked about it twice ago, yeah. now already. So just give me that elevator pitch okay. reminder of why that's probably not going to work out well. You can't just go to Jesus and say, look, this is what I want, and that's the end of the story. It's presuming, read all of these passages, when you ask something in Jesus' name in prayer, it's presuming that you are already in, line, in alignment with God's will. Mm -hmm. Alignment comes first. Seeking after God's wisdom and will. Aligning with the heart of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then ask what... I said it last week. God, please make our hearts yearn for what your heart yearns mm -hmm. for. Alignment is so important. And I use that that illustration a few weeks ago. If your front end on your car is out of alignment, you're going to end up where you don't want to be. And so if you're out of alignment with Jesus in your prayer life, you're going to end up essentially where you don't want to be. Mm -hmm. Love it. So last thing from this little passage here uh, before we get into the disciples in the world, what does it, this mean for our lives in the church, our local faith community, to live in this covenant of love with each other? So many things. I think abide is a key word there. Abide, keep abiding, remain, keep remaining. Remember that in the order there, we're destined before we're directed. We're called before we're commissioned. Uh, there's so many things to say there, but we need to obey God's command. We need to love one another as he has loved us. We need to find and pray for those sacrificial ways to engage the world around us with that kind of sacrificial love that, like you said, expects nothing in return. And we're going to read more about what we can expect in return expect in the next in section. Yes, yeah. there is something we yeah. can expect yeah. in return. Yeah, um, I think to put it in, in um, like some practical terms, um, we are called to give rather than just receive. 
Um, this was not necessarily a consumer-oriented culture that they were living in, but we live in one now, and we've all been conditioned as consumers to be able to receive, and yet God still calls us to give rather than receiving and give in a way that doesn't expect anything in return. Um, the other thing is, I, every time I read this passage, I keep going back to something that Cody Kimmel used to talk about when he was here. Um, it, it used to annoy him to no end that there would be people who claimed to have what he called a ministry of awareness, okay? <laughs> Anybody ever hear, remember any of this? Okay. Yeah. Do you know what I mean by a ministry of awareness? Uh, this has kind of come around with the advent of social media, but it was there even before social media, but it's especially prevalent now in social media. There are people who have actually appointed themselves as, as the ones who point out all the problems... Their ministry is to make everyone else aware of the problems, but their ministry isn't to do anything about it. They've done their job. I just make everybody else aware. Now you all go do the work. You all go do the sacrificial work, okay? So the idea here is if you are a person who is involved in a ministry of awareness, you need to also start doing stuff. That's really good. I love that. The way that that's worded, it's so, it's so easy to raise awareness of issues, the hard thing is to, to do something. Yeah. It's, it's much easier said than done. Sure. Talk is cheap, as they say, right? Talk is cheap. That's Talk right. Cheap. So let me read uh, 18 through 25. Jesus changes his focus now to the relationship of the disciples to the world, what it's going to be like for Christ followers in the world, in this culture. And by the way, by the, the meaning of the word world means those who are living in the midst of... Um, Systems, culture, and people who are decidedly not in agreement or alignment with who God is and who Jesus is and have no filling of the Holy Spirit. So there's going to be some, some, some animus there between those two worldviews and worlds. So Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world... The world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, I chose you, but I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. Thanks, Jesus. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. They also don't know the Father. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty. They would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They have hated me without cause. That's an that, you know, when you start to get into 22 through 25, there's some things we need to unpack there. But, but right out of the gate, I just want to point out, um, verse 18 says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me. And then in verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Again, you have this interesting thing going on with the ancient Greek where those two ifs mean two completely different things. The if in verse 18 means if the world hates you, and it will. This if, the way it's constructed in the ancient Greek, 
literally says, and they would have known this, if the world hates you, and it's a guarantee that they will. There's no question about it. There's no decision about it. It's just very simply, they are, it's a rhetorical device. If they hated you, and they will. The second one is, if you were of the world, that if says this, if you were of the world, but you're not. So it's a completely different construction. It's a completely different if. And again, in their context, understanding that ancient Greek, they would have understood the differences between these two little words and how they were used. So we have to explain that here so that you understand what's going on here and why Jesus is speaking the way he is. So Jesus is ensuring us right out of the gate in his sort of his thesis statement about the disciples' relationship with the world, he's ensuring that the world is not going to care for disciples of Jesus, those who follow Jesus. Mm. But he's also saying, but you're also saved. Mm. So you have that. So verse 21, reread verse 21 and then answer this question. Why do we expect non-believers to behave like believers? Because we do. Mm. Verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Yeah, he's speaking to his disciples, but we tend to read that as if everyone should know these things already, right? right. Yeah, so we hold them to that line when they're not necessarily holding themselves. I appreciate what you reminded us of the world. We, we have this tendency as people, and I do this too. You're probably the only one who doesn't do this, but because you're <laughs> Pastor Frank. <laughs> This world, uh, we I have no do this idea thing what where he's going to say right now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. What do I want to say? No, uh, we do this thing where we make everything us and them, right? Like we, yeah. we put ourselves in one camp and then we put everyone else in the other. That is what he's doing here. But if we talk only about the world in a negative way and say, well, you know, the world, the world, the world, um, we forget John 3.16 where Jesus, actually God, so loved the world. That word is the same word here. Yeah. So Jesus loved the world. So clearly this word and, and Pastor Trey and I are in a Greek class. So if I can just flex that Greek muscle for just a sec. That word <laughs> is cosmos, which is one of our vocab words, which, which means the world. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. The seminary education Phoenix is paying seminary, off already. That's right. Yes. Yeah. But we can think of it, like you said, that the world being used here is anything that's anti the way God created it. Anything anti the way God created it, which is a broad category. But this is what John does. He creates categories that's either light or dark, right? You're either of the world or you're not of the world. Yeah. And so that, that's what he's doing here in this passage, too. And I think one of the reasons we do tend to... Um, expect others to behave in a way that reflects our what's been revealed to us is because once something's been revealed to us it's kind of hard to understand that it hasn't necessarily been revealed to others or understood by others and so just like the world holds us to particular standards that we maybe don't like mm -hmm. which they do you put a bible under your arm and, and walk into a restaurant or something people are going to see you in a different way and hold you to a different standard but we do the same thing uh, and they don't have, they don't have the revelation uh, of God in their lives. And so to hold them to standards that, that we think they should be held to is not realistic. Mm -hmm. I, have a I know this is really maybe kind of harsh, but I have a friend who used to say, well, what do you expect from a dead person? 
a dead person meaning somebody who has not had the gospel revealed to them, what can you expect from them if they don't know the truth? How do you expect them to behave in the first place? And, and then, of course, I, I'll just speak autobiographically. There are times when I don't even behave like I, like I believe what's been revealed to me. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. That flesh is still really strong. And so I champion the gospel and I say, this is Jesus' teaching and this is how we ought to live. And then, and then I go off and I don't even do it myself. It's Paul in, in, I'm not comparing myself to Paul, but it is Paul's template in Romans chapter 7. The things I don't want to do, those are the things I find myself doing. The things I should do, I don't do those things. Mm. So um, remember that before we start judging the world, we also need to look inside, take that log out of our own eye. Yeah. Now, verses 22 through 25, Tyler. Are there people who have not heard of Jesus who are not guilty of sin? What does this even mean? It kind of sounds like this is sort of the loophole that a lot of people are looking for. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you read it at first and say, wait, they would have not been guilty of sin? Wait, so, okay, so there are some who aren't guilty, but what he's doing there is talking about the specific sin of seeing Jesus face to face and not believing. He's talking about that specific sin, not broadly any sin, but you saw me, you heard my words, and you did not believe me. More than that, you hated me. That's specifically the sin. Right. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1, as a matter of fact, where he says, look, even if you have not met Jesus personally, you are without excuse because the creation reveals that there's a creator. And so you do know. And there's also this sense of guilt here that I think Jesus is talking about where um, if you have ignorance, which, by the way, I'll be the first to admit that often ignorance is a wonderful thing. Not knowing about something is a really comfortable place to be, okay? What Jesus is saying here is that they no longer have the option of that comfort of ignorance. They have now seen him. They've seen his miracles. They've heard his teaching. Um, uh, I would even argue maybe extra biblically, but I would even argue that they, they have this nagging thought in their mind. He maybe really is the Messiah. Maybe we're making a mistake. Mm -hmm. And that level of, of anxiety is getting at them and eating at them, and they're feeling a little bit guilty, but they're going to stand strong in their resistance against Jesus because Jesus threatens their status and their power. Mm. That's good. I, I love um, verse 21. Verse 21 is one of those verses that's just a little scary to read at first because I can resonate with that action of doing something in the name of God and thinking, okay, this is the right thing to do. But they're doing it not knowing God. And not only that, they, they have no idea who God is or who Jesus is. That's scary because how do you know what you don't know? How do you know what you don't know? And so... I think one of the things you just said um, helped with that because you talked about, fr frame that again for me. I'm forgetting exactly how you worded that. You, you unpacked that and, and gave like, sorry, I'm thinking about too many things all at once. Say what you Which just part? said before. Which part do you want me to say again? About verse 22. Um, uh, about how, um, about Paul or about what Jesus is saying that now they've actually encountered him, there's this little bit of guilt in there. Yes. Because you, yeah. now they know who he is and he checks all the boxes. Right. And yet they said no. 
Yeah, so that, that's the encouraging part for me as a Christian because I, I, I would say that that's the Holy Spirit in me convicting me. Yeah. So if I am disciplined in hearing that voice and obeying that voice, not hardening my heart, then that, that gives me some hope on how to encounter that. What's cool, one last thing about this section here is if it's true that he's talking about the specific sin of unbelief, this was one of those little paradigm shifts for me that in a way then... Every interaction with Jesus that the Pharisees had and anyone who heard him speak and didn't believe, every interaction with Jesus is a condemnation from him. That's just one of those things that when you read the Gospels now, you read how he's interacting with them and they're not believing. It's this verse is saying it's a condemnation over their unbelief in each moment. Every interaction. And, and he's not wording it that way when he's interacting with them, right. but it yeah. turns into that because they didn't believe. Yeah. And of course, one place I always go when, when having this conversation too is um, John chapter 11, where Jesus raises Lazarus, okay? So I, I have conversations with people. Say, you know, if God would just do a miracle for me, then I would believe. If God right. would just speak to me, then I would believe. And, yeah. and the answer is, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> Because we have evidence in the scripture. There were people who saw Lazarus raised from the dead. And, and there were many who believed. But there were others who said, I think we need to kill Jesus. Yeah. That was their reaction <laughs> to that. They didn't believe. Mm -hmm. so, so they're condemned in that, in that regard. Mm -hmm. Verse 25. What does it mean when he says they hated me without a cause? Yeah. Do you think he's being a little bit cheeky there in 25 when he says... The word that's written in their law. This is in their own law. Yeah. They read this all the time and they miss it. They hated me without a cause. Practically, there was no reason for them to hate yeah. and murder Jesus. Like there I said, he checks all the boxes. So they hate him just because they hate him. Yeah. That's yeah. essentially what it is. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I could even go a little bit further with that. Because, um, I, again, I run into this in the world today. Uh, let's say you go to a party and it's your conviction that you, you shouldn't have a drink, okay? Occasionally, you, you'll be the person that somebody else will walk up and they will be uncomfortable by the fact that you're not having a drink. And their goal suddenly becomes, I got to get this person to have a drink, otherwise my drinking is not justified. So here's Jesus with all of these people doing all of these things, teaching all of these things, his mere presence is just making them uncomfortable because his presence is a paradigm that matches their law, matches their scripture, but doesn't match how they have twisted their law and twisted their teaching, and so they're uncomfortable with it. To hate is so easy, right? To hate, it, hate always agrees with the human heart. Yes. It just does. It does. But to love is always a sacrifice. Yeah. Hate always agrees with the human heart. Yeah, it's, it's so easy. It's so easy to hate the St. Louis Blues and the Los Angeles Kings. Amen. I get you, my mother. Is that a sports yeah. thing? It's a sports okay, thing. Okay, got yeah. it. Verses 26 and 27. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Mm. So verse 26 I see is just um, Jesus is reminding them that, okay, this is going to be really hard in the world because they're going to hate you. And you're going to need strength 
to be able to do that. And that strength can't come from you because you're going to fold back in the, was it the 90s when the Suns were playing the Lakers and finally beat them in a playoff series? And the Lakers said they're going to fold like a cheap tortilla. You're going to fold like a cheap tortilla in this world without the Holy Spirit, without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a reference that most of you don't get, but I still remember it because there's another person or another organization I hate, and that's the Lakers. So, Well, I love yeah. tortillas, so it landed with me. I like tortillas, yes. Okay. But not folding. ones that fold like cheap tortillas. So right. anyway. The good ones are... Anyway. But you need the Holy Spirit. You need to understand the sovereignty of God in this world, okay? Look at the, notice the Trinity too. Yeah. Man, it's just so rich in these passages. When the helper, that's the spirit, comes, whom I, Jesus, will send, he's sent, to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. So you've got the spirit of truth proceeding from the Father, bearing witness about the Son. It's that beautiful mysterious working of the Spirit, really practically in verse 26. We got And again, I, I love that, uh, that conversation that I have occasionally when somebody says, you know, the Trinity is not in the Bible. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. Okay, you don't have to have the word Trinity in the Bible for it to be in the Bible. Okay, there it is right there. And then we remember that this community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one that's thoroughly yielded to each other and is a beautiful example of how we should live in, in, in yieldedness to each other in the faith community uh, as well. Uh, verse, verse 27 sets us up for 16.1 where, where Jesus says, and we'll read these last three verses and unpack this now. He says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. He just said, listen, this world is going to be really hard on anybody who follows Jesus. That's just a fact. The world is hard on anybody, period. Can I get an amen at that? Okay, all right, yeah. It's hard anyway, and we're searching for ways to make it less hard. One of the things I love about Jesus is he says, look, the world's just going to be hard, but take heart. I have overcome the world, okay? Mm. So he's setting them up for this statement. I'm saying this to you that you don't fall away. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be filled with and empowered by him, and then he says this. They will put you out of the synagogues. They'll put you out of your holy places, your communities, your places that you used to be able to go to unfettered. They're going to put you out of those. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. They will kill you thinking they, were, they are offering service to God, think about the Apostle Paul as Saul on the way to Damascus to do what? To round up, uh, indict, and execute Christians. And that's where Jesus encounters him. So talk a little bit about what are... So how many of you go to synagogue? <clears throat> okay. So what are our present-day synagogues, though? We have present-day synagogues that we all go to. What are our present-day yeah, synagogues? Yeah, and you listed a couple of them, but... But clearly, um, it's a broad category. It's certainly more than, than even synagogues at the time. But uh, workplace, um, out of friendships, out of committees and meetings and uh, all of that, because you're in alignment with Christ, and so you're going to kind of be the weirdo in the room, yeah. kind of, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, they're going to they're gonna put you out of those areas in which you used to be in because of your alignment with Christ. And that shouldn't be a surprise that 
that is literally what they're going to do to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in fact, uh, their families did suffer this. They were put out of the synagogues. They, were, they did have their, um, their livelihoods threatened and even taken away from them. Their friends walked away from them. Their family members, they, here you go, they were canceled, okay? That's what, that's what happened to them. They were canceled um, because of Jesus. It's, it's, it's their version of, of what we have today, the purity culture. You have to think a certain way, say a certain thing, post, post certain things. Uh, silence is violence. You have to behave a certain way, have the right causes, ticked off in your little boxes. And that's the only way that, that, that you're not going to be put out of these places. And when you align yourself with Christ, you are decidedly taking some of those checked boxes away in some ways. My question here, I have two questions to end with. The first one is maybe, it's more rhetorical than we necessarily have to answer. The second one I'd really like to have you answer. But here, here's the first one. How does anybody read John 8, chapter 15, verses 18, through chapter 16, verse 3? How does anybody read this passage and come away thinking that the life of faith is going to be all cupcakes and muffins? That this is, going to, this is their ticket to easing the easy life. I don't understand how that happens. Just as a note, we have almost no script, but that is one of the lines in the script. Cupcakes and muffins in particular. <laughs> yeah, friendship with Christ comes with blessings and burdens. It just does. Yeah. There is a blessing to being a friend of Christ, and there are challenges and suffering that will come. I don't know. It, it, it's clearly a contrast in the first section, 12 through 17, loving one another right into 18 and through the rest. Hate, love and hate, light and dark. Here's what we have. Yeah, clearly suffering and, is coming. And don't you think it's intentional on Jesus's part that he puts love each other in your faith community first before he gets into how the world is going to respond to you because that love of one another is also going to give you strength to be able to live, uh, to be in this world but not of this world. I was meeting with my cousin who's 18 and trying to figure out life. I remember that stage. But uh, he said this about this text. I said, how does this hit you? He said, well, it seems like you have to love the world, but be ready not to be loved by anybody. That's essentially what <laughs> Jesus I, I, is saying. I was like, wow, anything yeah. else? I'll write it down. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. So then here's the follow-up question to that, the last question. So why become a Christian? Why become a Christian? Yeah. I think that what's clear here is the heart of Christ for us, and I find that personally compelling. I think 16.1 is a glimpse into what the heart of the Father is, and that's attractive to me. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. He knows it's going to be challenging, but his heart is to encourage, remind you of what's coming so that you don't fall away. So the love of the Father, to get to say that I am a friend of God in Christ. What an honor. What a privilege. Here's, here's another way to, to look at it. It's just one small way, but a person who does not know Jesus, I think I can say with some measure of confidence, the only love that they've ever experienced in life has been conditional, has been performative, has been a contract, 
And when you encounter Jesus, you understand that this is a different kind of love. It is agape, yeah. which is unconditional, selfless love that is not rooted in the worthiness of, of being loved, but rather in the character of the one doing the loving. Um, wouldn't it be wonderful to always be loved unconditionally in some way? And God says, I will do that for you through Jesus. That's an amazing thing. Amen. Yeah. And he demonstrates that through the cross and the resurrection. Mm -hmm. So, Amen. will you want to pray and then I'll introduce communion? Or is there a wrap up for us? No, I think that was a okay. great, way to, Good. great way to end it. Jesus, thank you for your word. It is so clear and compelling. Thank you for this time that we have set aside to look intentionally at your word, to consider the implications for us and our lives. And Spirit, I pray now that you would be a helper to us as we consider these things. Any word from Frank or I today that was not of you, let it be forgotten. Amen. Lord, and your word, let that be what sticks and what remains. Help us, Spirit. And we know we're praying in line with your will when we say this. Help us, Spirit, to remain and abide in you, Jesus. Keep us from hate. Keep us, God, loving one another, expecting nothing in return, because, Jesus, you've given us all the love that we need, all of the commitment, all of the covenant that we need. Help us to remain in that. And God, let our fruit, as you send us into the world, let our fruit abide as we abide in you. Spirit, help us. Yeah. Amen. Amen. All right. As the band has come, we are going to uh, engage in our time of reflection uh, and response, a time when we get to uh, allow the Spirit, if we will, to come into our hearts to lead, guide, and direct us. And it's also a time when we get to come to the Lord's table, communion, which Jesus set up on this very night where he's talking to them and said, this is this new meal that you're going to have. If you're abiding in me, if you are in me and I am in you, if you're a follower of Christ, you're going to take the bread, which is broken. It's my body, he says. And, you, and when you take it, you do it in remembrance of what he's done for us. And then you take the juice or the wine, the cup. He says, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for your sins so that you can stand with no guilt before God. But not just no guilt, but you get to stand holy and righteous before God because of this sacrifice and the resurrection. And so when we come and take these elements, we are aligning ourselves with Christ we are confessing that we need him and we're celebrating that we have them, have him. So uh, do that now. Come into the middle aisle. Come and take one of the communion kits when you get back to your uh, seat. When you're ready to take the elements, take the elements. Uh, and then when you feel led by the Spirit, if you feel led by the Spirit, you can stand and you can sing with uh, the band uh, the rest of the way through uh, the service. And then Trey will come and give us our benediction. In the meantime, there will be deacons, elders, and staff standing in the wings. If you have prayers or you have questions, you want to know more about Jesus, something in particular you need prayer for, you can do that as well. So let's do that now.
Well, thank you guys so much for being here and worshiping with us this morning. Uh, I'm going to read our benediction over us as a prayer, uh, something that Jesus prayed over the disciples. And so this is a prayer over you as we go into the week and as we're formed by the message God's brought us today. Before I do that, I just want to remind us, today is Orientation Sunday. So if you're new or you've been coming for a little bit and you haven't gotten to meet anybody or you want to know a little bit more about who we are, Redemption Church Arcadia, um, I would love to meet you. Meet me at the back at the Connect Desk, and I'll take us on a little walk about campus. It'll take like 10 minutes, tell you a little, about, a little bit about who we are, um, and then we'll have a little party with the pastors and staff on the patio. Um, and if you, haven't, if you have been coming for a while and you'd like to walk with us anyway, I'd love to have you. So let me read this over us as a prayer. These are Jesus' words. I have given them your word, Father, uh, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Amen. Go and live all of life all for Jesus. We'll see you next week.